0: This is the Scott Bradley Show Podcast. Don Robertson is in studio with me from the Real McCoys from ComChoice Realty, as he is every Monday. Don, thanks for doing this, as always. Glad to be here, Scott. So you are a guy who has, over the years, been a coach, been a general manager. You have made... Decisions going into playoff series about starting goalies, who you're going to play, who's your power play line, because mostly you've done hockey, although you've done some other things, but hockey is your number one sport. So you have, when you get into the really important games of the year, you have had to make some decisions, and sometimes you'll have two goalies that are hot, or one that's hot and one that's not, or one that has played well against a certain team that you're matching up against. But he may not be the hot goalie right now, but his history is that he's been against There's all kind of permeations and combinations when you make a decision about who you're going to play. Which brings me to the question about the Blue Jays. They get into the wild card last night. They qualify. They are playing the Baltimore Orioles tomorrow night in a one-game winner-take-all, loser-goes-home-for-the-winter series. It's hard to call it a series. It's a one-game winner-take-all game. And the guy they've decided to put on the pitcher's mound is not Liriano, who had looked very solid in his last three outings. It's not Estrada, who has looked good all year. It's not Dickey, who's looked... Eh, we're really not sure. They're going with Marcus Stroman, who has a track record in this area, who has a track record with the Blue Jays, but this year against the Baltimore Orioles, Marcus Stroman is 1-2 with a 7.04 ERA. They have banged him around. Why... Do you think, what was the thought process that would go into the general manager, the coach's minds when they sit down and decide who is going to be our pitcher? What's the, as a coach, what's the number one thing you're wanting when you go to your go-to guy, whether it's a goalie, whether it's a pitcher, whether it's a quarterback, whatever. You go to the guy that you have the most confidence in. You
1: go to the guy you think can win it for you. I mean, yeah. Do you look at the numbers? I think you look at the numbers, but you look at everything else and you look at why he was two and one. I mean... Um, one and two. There you go. Yeah. But, all right, so you it look at It was a rough why, year for him against Baltimore. Yeah, but then, I, you know, Gibbons was there all the time, as was his coaching staff, and I, I don't remember all the games verbatim. I'm sure they played a game I didn't care about. The reality is, he maybe should be three and zero. Maybe the bullpen blew two games he had wrapped up. We've seen an awful lot of that lately. Maybe they maybe they stranded fifteen base runners in the two games that he, that he lost. He had no business losing. Uh, you have to be in, into an awful lot more analytics than than you and I are, and the average fan is, to be able to make that decision. Generally, when you're in that position as a coach, you're hoping that decision's already been made for you. Sure. And you're not contemplating a whole lot. Lariano had an outstanding outing against him. He is a lefty. Which Baltimore doesn't hit well. Doesn't hit well historically and or recently. Um, but you know what? I mean, that's Gibson's call when it all comes down and everybody throws all their two cents worth in, he's got to make the call and he's making a call because it could cost him his job if, the, was just if, if, say if they that. don't move on. So make absolutely no mistake. He didn't do it by throwing things, things
0: that are dartboard. But how much of it is simply based on comfort level with the guy and how much is it, would you expect is with logic and common sense? Cause those are not necessarily the same thing. Logic and numbers and statistics are one thing. Facts are one thing, and your comfort level and your belief, which is really an intangible, is another thing altogether. And he's clearly gone with the latter in this case.
1: Well, it, that's that's only if you haven't analyzed what I laid out to you earlier. I mean, perhaps he should have very easily been 3-0, and we, and we don't know that. And well, his
0: ERA was 7.04, and if you look back, he did, I mean, against Baltimore, he did get, hit pretty hard they they like well then Gibson against based
1: on that Gibson's an idiot it's going to cost him his job right. I don't think that's the case I'm sure you don't either but you know what you go when you're in that situation you pick the guy you think he can win sometimes against all odds like um you might be you might be throwing a guy out there that's just been absolute horse crap the last three outings but you say you know what he's my guy I'm when my when my butt's on the line here, he's the guy I'm going with. He's got me to the dance a few times. I absolutely love his compete level and more importantly, I really like the way our ball club plays behind him because they love him. So there's a whole it's not just gut. It's just There's a whole lot of things that come into it and Gibby will know that better than anybody else and maybe he thinks that his ball players will play better behind him than anybody else. They'd like to have Hap going but you know
0: what? They're I'm not. The bigger question mark is how often are you going to throw a soon out there? Well, first of all, let me just tell you, you earned your first fine as a guest on the show because you referred to compete level, which is such a sports line. (laughs) I said, I'm never in all that for as long as I write in the newspaper, I will never refer to someone's compete level. Anyway, I'm just joking with you. Um, I didn't say it was going to give 110%. (laughs) Not yet. Uh, no, I I think you're probably right with something. And we looked last year in the playoffs, and when it came down to a must-win moment, and they had David Price, and they had Marcus Stroman, they went with Marcus Stroman. When it so, there there's no evidence ha- that was the right decision. Well, it, David Price was not he he had his moments, but he also had his moments. Um. So clearly John Gibbons has a comfort level with Marcus Stroman. He believes in something about Marcus Stroman. My only thought on this is there is belief in a guy because you've known him for a while. You've seen how hard he works. You've done all this kind of stuff. And there is the fact that you've got the best starting rotation in the major leagues. And you've got a choice. Like Mar- last year, when Marcus Strowman came back, he became the guy that you really didn't have a choice because he was that good last year. You need a big game. Marcus Strowman is, un- as you said, you you like it to be decided for you. Marcus Strowman was that guy. I would argue that he's got two, maybe three, but at least two guys that won't be starting in, as you say, Hap and Estrada and maybe Liriano. Two guys at least, though, that... If I'm the manager, I look at what they've done, their body of work this year, and I say, yeah, Marcus, I love you. You're my guy, but, you know, this is this. I, I got to go with what I've seen from these guys, and those two would both give me more confidence going into this game. But you can't use either one of them.
1: They just well, pitched.
0: Well, uh, Sanchez just pitched. You could, you could. Hap pitched Saturday night. Okay, so Estrada was Friday. So Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you would be maybe going on a day short, but it's the playoffs. It's the playoffs. I don't know. I I like his decision. I don't have any trouble with it, I mean. How much do you think as a coach how much factors in to the idea that you know what, I got to deal with this guy next year too and if I bypass him. Now, again, you're assuming there's a, there's a bunch of steps here because I agree with you. John Gibbons has to win this game to keep his job. But you're also thinking long term. If I'm here next year, I got to work with this guy again. And if I bypass him, he may not buy into what I'm doing. There isn't a chance that had a bearing in
1: it. There isn't a chance it matters. It's all about tomorrow night. It's not about who's starting Thursday, Friday. It's not about any of that. It's all about winning tomorrow night. Because if you don't win tomorrow night, who cares about next year? It's a long way off. There might not be a next year for Gibbons. So if that, if next- And Lariano doesn't have the history. He doesn't. I don't believe he's been able to build up the rapport that the guys in, in the locker room would do anything for him. Although David Price did that in short order, but he's a pretty special picture. But David Price has won one playoff game his entire career, and it was done as a reliever last year. So. Um, That's why they got to make the decision based
0: on who they think can get it done tomorrow night. See, I'm also not convinced. I don't, I don't completely agree with you on the one point where you say it's got nothing to do with it. If Marcus Stroman tomorrow night comes out and he struggles in the first inning, because here's one thing we know about Baltimore. The one thing you can't do against Baltimore is be behind in the fifth or sixth inning, because as soon as they get into their bullpen, you're toast. I mean, their bullpen is like Kansas City's was for the last two years. They're, they're, they are going to lock you down. You can't let yourself get buried early. So I look at this situation, I think, okay, Marcus Stroman comes out. He's not the Marcus Stroman from last year. He's doing okay, but he's looking a little rough around the edges and he's dangling by his fingernails off the cliff a few times. And if Gibbons comes out into the second or third inning to take him out because we just can't let this go on, I don't expect that to happen, but if he did, I think it would have some long-term now, I think I think Marcus Stroman next year if John Gibbons is still here if they manage to pull it out I think he looks at that and he I think you've got some issues now w- would John Gibbons use that as his decision I don't know but I disagree when you say it has no factor or doesn't get thought of at all I think it gets thought of I don't think so I, if he was
1: a free agent and you were trying to hang on to him maybe but you know he's under contract and. I don't think you care. I mean, the reality is if he's, if he's getting slapped around a little bit, he might be the first. If he's if he's the competitor and the winner everybody says he is, and they walk out to see him with two out in the second inning and he's got a guy or one out and he's got two guys on, he might be saying, I haven't got it. No pitcher's ever said that to him. No. But he's going to say, you know what, we got to win this thing, so bring Lariano in because you're going to have all hands on deck. You know Lariano is likely going to be teed up to come in at any time. Halfway through the first inning, they've got to be prepared to make the tough decisions.
0: Well, the one the one beautiful thing the Blue Jays have going in their favor besides their pitching is that they do have six starting pitchers in the, rot- in the rotation. I would be very surprised if R.A. Dickey was on the – playoff roster, because if you have R.A. Dickey, you've got to have Tolley who's the catcher. There's two spots, and you're not going to use him. But even with that, you could have Strom warming up, and you could almost have Liriana warming up side-by-side with him in the bullpen, because you're not going to need one of those guys down the road. You've got Estrada, you've got Happ, you've got got, um, Sanchez, and you've got Stroman or Liriano, you you can waste one of those guys. You could almost have the two of them warmed up to start the game just in case. I don't expect, again, I would not expect that because I think that's an insult to the guy who's starting. I think that Stroman would see that as an insult and a lack of confidence. But you, I mean, you almost could, which is
1: a... No, see, that's, but Gibbon's job is to say, here's what we're doing, here's the game plan. We think you can get us to the seventh inning, but we're going to be ready in the event that you can't. So don't take any offense to what happens here. We're going to let you run with this thing and win this baseball game. But don't take don't even look at the bullpen and wor- concern yourself with that because my job is to make sure whoever it is is ready to go. Liriano's a lot better bet coming
0: out of the bullpen as a left-hander than Cecil is. So Liriano, okay, we got to go to break, but Liriano is a starter. Starters take longer to warm up. We all know that. They, they I mean the relievers have conditioned themselves to be ready quicker. Starters take longer. it's they're, they're just what they do. So, if you were John Gibbons, would you tell Liriano be ready for the first inning? Sure. A lot of what they do, and you, you you've been around. They, they make long throws
1: before the game. They, they, so he, you would have him generally loosen up, perhaps not to start, but not to just kick him out of the dugout and say, why don't you scoot down to the bullpen? We need co- you to be able to be ready in about 10 minutes. That's right. You don't you don't have the luxury of the time that you normally have, so you get your head around that because if need be,
0: you're going, and if not, you're going to pitch in the next series. Quick break here on the Scott Radley Show. When we come back, a local uh, hockey league, a local house league has told its players, its young players, that they can only score three goals in a game this year. If they score any more than that, goals aren't going to count because we want everybody to share the puck and feel good and be a team do you agree with that idea that it's everybody has to be basically socialism hockey yeah nobody can be special everybody's got to be equal or do you think no let the kids play if they score four if they score five good let them go we're going to talk about that when we come back stay with us you're listening to the scott radley show weeknights from seven to nine on am 900 chml in studio with Don Robertson talking sports for the first hour. And Don, um, I heard about a, a really interesting story from the city, Ham- city of Hamilton today. There is a minor hockey association in town that has, for three of its age groups, three of its younger age groups in House League, has put out a new edict that says, if you are playing and if you as a kid score three goals, get a hat trick, that's it for you. Any goal you score beyond that three will not count. For you or on the scoreboard, you are essentially scoring in vain. The idea being that they're saying what they want to do is make it so that you will pass the puck and play as a team. What do you think about that?
1: I think if you pass the puck and play as a team, you're going to score more than three goals. So that sounds like it's a bit of a... uh... Oxymoron, if you will. I don't get it. Like if you if you're passing the puck and playing, I'm talking well as the an team. individual,
0: not as a team. The team can score more than three. A person can't score more than three. An individual player can't score more than three. So it, so this association
1: thinks, in their infinite wisdom, that if they have a particularly good player or an average player that's having a big day, that. He scores five that night. They're only going to count three in the stats, and they're not going to count it on the scoreboard. Right?
0: That they're actually fooling somebody. They're just, they're just going to wave it off and have a face off and say that did not count. Who? Do, who in God's creation do they think they're fooling? Well, it's it's you know the, the issue with me on this one, Don. I got to be honest with you is that it's not so much about the idea that. Is this going to create more passing? I suppose it could create more passing. I suppose it could lead to someone passing the puck. But there's a couple issues on this. The first one is, you're in, a, you're in a game, it's a tie game, and you've got a guy who scored three goals. Now, will this ever happen? I don't know. But you've got a guy who scored three goals, and now he has a breakaway in a tie game in the third period. Is he supposed to stop? Like, he's not being a puck hog. He's not being a, a goal suck. He's got a breakaway. Is he supposed to stop? And not score a goal if he's got a breakaway. To me, that now makes a mockery of the thing. But the second part, and this is the thing that always makes me a little crazy about these particular ideas, which I find by and large misguided. In what other venue of life for kids do we tell kids, don't be too successful other than sports? We come up with these rules about don't score too many goals, don't win, don't, don't, whatever. When was the last time a, an elementary school that give out prizes for academics at the end of the year said to one of the kids, you know what, if your science project is too good, we're only going to give you a 90. We're not going to go above a 90 if, you, if your science project is better than the other kids. Because we want, we want everyone to feel good about themselves. We don't say you can't be the best singer in school? What if you've got a kid who's a terrific singer and gets the lead in every school play? I'm sorry, once you've been the lead once, that's all you can be the lead. We don't say if you go home and practice your trumpet that you can't be the lead trumpet player in the school band. In no other area of life do we ever tell kids don't do your best except in sports. And I don't understand it. Why why is it if you're an athlete that you shouldn't do your best because other kids may not be able to succeed. But in every other factor of every other area of life, we say, no, work hard, be your best. If you get a hundred percent, I don't care what the other kids get. Be your best. I don't get it.
1: First, first thing that comes to mind is I, I think it probably should go more to coaching and it should be the coach's responsibility to make sure that they're passing the puck and moving it around. If you've got a kid that's playing really well, then you take some time and you explain to them that it's a team game and you can make everybody on this team better if you start moving the puck and distributing it a little bit. Now, we've all seen coaches whose sons likely play on the team and they yell and scream for them to carry the puck and go through the team and it drives me nuts, the minor hockey I do see now, where all of a sudden you've got three kids that he could have passed the puck to, now all stopped on the blue line, and the explanation is, well, when he gets to the net, there's nobody to pass it to. Well, that's because he should have passed the bloody thing to him uh, when he come outside of his own blue line. So that's to me, is up to coaching. And I, I agree with you. Like when I suggested earlier, maybe your average player or a mediocre player Uh, happens to tip a couple in, and he's so excited. And he gets a third one, and then you cite the example that he's out killing a penalty in a tie game and pokes it off the defenseman's uh, stick on a power play and goes down on a breakaway going, well, isn't this a lot of fun? i got to shoot it in the
0: corner. Here's the thing. I don't believe in house league hockey, and I've coached house league hockey. My son has played rep. My son has played house league. I've been around house league hockey. I don't believe that three goals in house league hockey, maybe part of it is I don't believe three goals is an unbelievably exceptional night for a lot of kids in house league. For a lot of kids in house league who are the better players, and we know there's really good players and there's mediocre players and there's poor players. For the really good players, I don't think that three goals is that exceptional a game. If you wanted to set the bar and say five goals is the maximum, well, that would be a different story for me because, you know, if, if you've gotten five, maybe I'm picking things here but if you've got five it seems like you've you know controlled a lot of the game three doesn't seem like it's an exceptional number
1: I think we have interesting arguments what I what I wished I had the background on is the real reason for the implementation of it I'm sure there were one or two cases where some kids scored eight well there there may well be some kids playing in house league that should be playing rep or double-a that are playing in house league and maybe that's created a situation where they're trying to
0: adjust it but isn't but, that the point of house league you can play house league anybody can play house league that's the whole idea so I, I, you don't we're not going to force you that because you're good you have to play rep right that, that's it is my point
1: that you they're now punishing kids that maybe should be participating at a higher level but and can't for a number of different reasons whether it's parents job commitments because sometimes you have to be in Welland at 5.30 at night for your kid's game. It could be that reason. We just can't get the kid financial. there. It could be a financial burden. They've got two other kids playing, so none of you can play rep hockey because we don't have another $40,000 in the budget to make sure that you go to these tournaments in Detroit and Pittsburgh and Kingston and everything else. But we still want you to play because you love the game. We don't want to take it away from you. So now you're going to play house league, and now they're going you're going to put a kid in an environment where you not only can he play rep for a number of different reasons, some of which we may have just talked about, but
0: you can't do your best either. See, there's, there's for me the underlying problem with this, is that in every other area of life we encourage kids to do their best. And I've, I coached a house league team with a kid who was much better than the other kids. And we had a situation where he at times was disincentivized to pass the puck, I shouldn't say disincentivize. I kept yelling him to pass the puck, but he's a kid, he was just better than everybody. But the reality is, the, one of the conveners at the time then said to me, tell him not to try so hard. And I said, I'm not going to go and tell a kid not to try. He's out here because he wants to play. And it's not his fault that he is a good player. And again, I go back to the point I made before. We don't do this anywhere else, except in sports. I know a kid who, when he was playing house league baseball, he threw the ball really hard. This was a number of years ago, a kid that my son knew very well was told you can't pitch in house league because the kids don't want to have to face you because you throw the ball too hard. Well, what are we telling kids? If you're good, you're not allowed to play, but if you're good in science, if you're good in math, if you're good in music, if you're good in art, that's all fantastic. Just don't be too good in sports. And to me, you know what? Not every kid is a mathematician. Not every kid is an English major. Some kids, their gifts are in sports. Why do we want to discourage the kids who are gifted in sports where we would never discourage kids who are dis- or gifted in other areas? It just doesn't make sense to me. They should call it the left-wing hockey league. I don't know if it's left-wing. It just it seemed, Well, There would be am sure there's some. But it, you know where I think this probably came from? I'll, I actually would bet you money on this. There were one or two parents... Who were out in the lobby after the game and they were grumbling because Johnny got five goals and their kid didn't get any. Now their kid may have stunk. Their kid may be the worst player on the team and you, Johnny could pass him the puck all game long and he's not going to score a goal. There is also the side, Don, that Johnny is a complete puck hog and he will never pass the puck and you don't have any other way around it. But to put a rule, the point is that's when what you just said is true. It's on coaching. You tell you have the convener give you the permission. It's house league. The convener gives the coach the permission to say, you tell Johnny separately. If he doesn't pass, he's going to sit on the bench and miss a shift. You don't have to penalize everybody for the behavior of one kid or two kids.
1: That's why I brought it up earlier. I think it should be left in the hands of the coaches, as difficult as it may be. And then, you know what, at the end of the day, approach it. It's always the greasy, uh, greasy wheel um, the noisy wheel gets the grease, right? And you're right up there's Some parents sitting around bitching and squawking about, you know, the Radley kids scored another seven tonight, and so we won our 17th game straight. My kids only got four points. So inherently what we always try and do is rather than get as good as the other guys, I've I've been in hockey leagues where they've done that. I've been in baseball leagues where they've done that you know what, we can't compete with them, so let's drag them down to our level so we all have more fun. And if that's the way sports was designed to be, there'll be a lot of leagues that wouldn't even exist right now. You can't drag
0: people down for your own convenience. Agreed. It should be about, It should be. everybody should be allowed to perform to their best in sports. And I. And I, again, I, I got to go to a break, but I, I come to the same thing. In no other area would we tell a kid don't do your best. Don't do your best. When you're playing in the school band and you have your trumpet solo, you know what? Throw in a few missed notes there just to make the other kids who aren't as good as you feel good. Well, I we was, would never, ever say that. I did that in high school all you the time. You told kids? No,
1: I did it all the time. <laughs> I could have got 100 in all the classes. I get thinking that isn't fair. I'll get like 60 and give somebody else the other 40 points.
0: We would never encourage kids to reduce their performance at something except in sports. We would never do it. We don't do it. Find me an example. Anyone out there who can think of an example where we tell a kid, be less than your best. At school, in drama school, in dance classes, in anywhere else. You find me one example where we tell kids, do less than what you're capable of. I can't think of one. It's the only place. It's sports. And I don't know if it's got, if it's something to do with athletics. It's because as parents, we seem to be so inherently tied up in sports that uh, sports is the place where we dis- determine that we're better breeders than other parents because our kids do well. But you know what? Again, I, I find it very hard to believe. Maybe I'm wrong. I didn't I didn't have kids go through the dance school world, for example. Maybe at dance recitals you have parents in the lobby going, why did Melissa get the lead? again? Why did she get to do the whatever? M- maybe that happens there too, but they don't, I don't think, then say, You know what, Melissa, Uh, you you did, you dance too well. So next time, please fall down just once or twice, but just to make the other girls feel better about themselves. We would never say that we would tell the other kids, you know, why Melissa's got the lead because she's worked the hardest and she dances the best. Catch up to her. I, I, sorry, league, bad idea. If you've got a problem with a kid or with two kids. Get the coach to work with that kid or two kids. Put it let the coach work with that kid. Let the kid have skills and vehicles in order to do that. Let let him bench the kid if he won't play properly. But don't don't put in rules that tell kids don't try your best. It's idiotic. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show, weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. But Don you know, we wrapped up last week. The World Cup of Hockey. Luke, by the way, i got to say this. Luke behind the glass who takes all the calls when people call in. Luke had a clip of me ready to go because I said Canada's going to win against Europe and wrap it up on Thursday. And Luke didn't think they were for a while. And he had a clip that he was going to mock me with of my own words if I was wrong. But I was right. Although it was, didn't require any level of genius to see that Canada was going to beat Europe. But anyway, that brings me to the question. We have now won. It's either 16 or 17 games in a row. By we, I mean Canada in major international competition. And quite frankly, Thursday was the first or one of the few that's actually been competitive. They've mostly been lopsided for Canada. I'm not sure the uh, overtime goal against the U.S. and Vancouver was. All I, said most, I said most. I said most. There's the, almost all of them have been pretty one-sided. Decisions, of course, yes, yeah, Sidney Crosby scoring was was obviously close. This one was close. Question is, I didn't get the same buzz around this that I got around other things. And I wonder, have, as, as silly as it sounds, is Canada too good in hockey right now at this very moment? Are we too good and have we sucked the drama and the excitement and the buzz out of international hockey? Because you already know what the ending of the book is going to be. It was about as uh, should have been
1: celebrated about as much as the Blue Jays in their champagne-soaked dressing room for scooping up a wild card booth or spot. You know, they're, you're right, and it, it it does go in cycles. Fifteen years ago, we had a national conference and yes, a royal commission reestablished and examined our game from the skates to the top of the helmet because we weren't doing as well as we were expected to do in our own minds. So I think we take it more seriously than a lot of other countries. I don't think the U.S. are going back and having uh, Donald Trump look into what their problems are on and off the ice. And right now we are absolutely dominant. We have all of our premier players are at a good age. None of them are basically at the the end of the career. We had three or four that could have fit in anywhere. Uh, Ben didn't play. Sagan didn't play. You know, there, I mean, we had a lot of talent that didn't play. So, absolutely, I do like the way the U.S. look in in coming events. But for well, Connor McDavid might help out a little bit as we move forward. But
0: uh, move forward, hate that term anyway. Uh, Not as bad as compete level, but I get what you're yeah, saying.
1: Close, very close. <laughs> anyway, the the I mean, right now we are the premier hockey country at that level, and nobody is close the reality is nobody is close. We will cycle, but we will re- we will recycle and retool like the Detroit Red Wings do. They just drop they never drop out of the
0: playoffs, they just drop down in the standings. They're always going to be competitive. So would it be as as sacrilegious almost as it would be to say this? Would it be helpful for Canada lose to lose a game or two in a major international event just to show that it, you know what, it's actually possible That we actually could lose a game, so you better tune in because there's going to be some drama here. And if we win, good, we won. Is it okay to say that it's probably advantageous to the betterment of hockey or to getting people interested to to drop a game or two? No, that's that's stupid. (laughs) The hell, would you try? We just talked to old kids. Why don't you try your best? Is I'm it going to be no, no, better? No, I'm not saying try to lose a game. I'm never, I would never suggest you're throwing a game. I'm saying, would it be good if, you know what, all of a sudden Sweden upset us once or the States, not in the championship game, but just along the way to nah. show that you can, it's possible?
1: No, I'd say you beat them like a rented mule as long as you can. You don't see the U.S. Uh, in the basketball and the Olympics caring. No, but They're you know what? pound you. They get the odds scared because you get cocky, and that's where you lose. You start saying, you know what, the Finns are good, but they don't care like us, so you know what, I can't wait to play the U.S. Thursday, and you're playing the Finns on Tuesday. That's how you get beat because you're not paying attention and you're not focused. But right now, I mean, to lose, I mean, you know what, who who wants? No, it's not good for the game when the best team doesn't win.
0: Yeah, I don't, We're I mean, the best team. I don't want to lose. I want to be clear, I'm not suggesting, hey, it would be great if Canada lost to the Mexican team or something in, in hockey. That's not what I'm after. But I don't think there was any drama in this because it was a foregone conclusion before the tournament started who was going to win. And I think that hurt. I mean, viewership was big, but I don't think there was any real sense of... It wasn't the 87 Canada Cup. Well, it we, wasn't the Olympics. We, we knew we were going to win.
1: We talked about that before they even had it, and,
0: and I'd suggested
1: the the excitement would build as the tournament went on too bad for rogers who i don't care how much money rogers make i mean no bearing in in my mind i mean they they the games outdrew the blue jays which i was surprised at but the the reality is we were playing team europe you know that age-old rivalry against those eight nations that can put a team together I mean, that really hurt the tournament, and I think that really kind of slowed down the drive. As much as everybody was absolutely ecstatic that John Tortorella and the U.S. got their butt kicked and were long gone, everybody wanted to see the kids do well. Everybody, The same amount of people wanted the kids to do well also knew that we were likely going to be in the finals and likely going to win it, and you're right, you didn't have to be a world-famous prognosticator to figure that one out. But playing against Team Europe didn't help, and a lot of the other teams didn't seem to crank it up very much. So I th- it might take some time. Uh, but Oh, we'll lose again.
0: But, I mean, you're right. It's cyclical. No, we no, but, lose it, again. but it'll,
1: it'll take some time before the World Cup builds up that kind of rivalry. And I don't know if they can do it with the format they've got. But, you know, it was a pretty creative format. Uh, but the proof is in the pudding. They didn't sell out the Arcanda Center for the final two games.
0: No, they drew much, much bigger numbers than the Blue Jays, which I was shocked at. I, I mean, I really was. I thought they might outdraw them a little bit, but not by almost three times. That was that was impressive. There was clearly an audience for it.
1: Well, the other, the other thing I just don't is, think
0: we're going to ever think back. I mean, we talk about the 87 Canada Cup winning goal, Gretzky to Lemieux. Yep. Are we ever going to talk about the Brad Marchand World Cup winning goal in 2016, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I bet you 90% of people listening right now couldn't even remember that it was Brad Marchand who got it. Well, Uh, Brad Marchand's shorthanded goal with less than a minute to go,
1: seconds basically to go, to wrap it up, was very close to the excitement level of Paul Henderson's winning goal against Russia with uh, the first winning goal. Not the second one and not the big one, but the first one. It ranks up there. Not yeah, many people six. know we war- scored the winner in three straight. That's where Marshawn's goal will rank. Not very high.
0: The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHML.